Hello and good morning. It's Monday, the 9th of April, 2018. Welcome back to Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue, the first and only podcast in the world dedicated entirely to autonomous cars. Today, episode 19, I get seat time in a Tesla Model S P100D with autopilot and ludicrous mode. Porsche's CEO says they plan to go 100% electric by 2030, and the first reviews start rolling in for Jaguar's new EV SUV, the I-Pace. All this and more, right now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Porsche. According to our good friends over at electrek.co, Porsche CEO Oliver Bloom has announced that by 2030, fully 100% of Porsche's products will be fully electrified. This is, of course, a really big news. Yes, Porsche have been rolling out plug-in hybrids for quite some time now. Uh, Their poster car, the spectacular Porsche 918 Spyder hypercar, forming fully one-third of the world's holy trifecta of hypercars, joining the likes of the Ferrari LaFerrari and McLaren P1. Uh, And yes, uh, it's been marked by Porsche's development of the Mission E. Um, Of course, this is Porsche's competitor to the Tesla Model S, to which, of course, Porsche have said repeatedly, 999, we are not competing with Tesla. They are not our benchmark. Yeah, right. Uh, so either somebody at Porsche really loves Tesla, or they are indeed benchmarking it because they have acquired one or several. None of this really matters. The point is, the the Mission E is going to be a fantastic car. It's beautiful inside and out, and indeed, it's going to offer a fantastic alternative to Tesla when it finally comes out in the next year or two. This is all sort of skirting the issue of what this means for Porsche as a brand going forward. So... Six years, 50% electric production, uh, seven more years beyond that, 2030, 100% electric vehicle production. This is really huge, not least of which because of what it means for Porsche as a brand, is including and especially with respect to its 911. This, of course, the 911, the original Porsche model dating back to its earliest days and around which all the loyalists converge and for which and to which all Porsche models must sort of align themselves. This obviously is met with a bit of a double-edged sword. The Porsche Cayenne SUV often mocked as being an inflated, lifted 911. The Porsche Panamera said to be a grotesque caricature of a stretched 911 with two additional doors. Never mind the current generation, which is actually quite pretty, finally. But uh, you see where I'm going with all this. The issue, of course, is going to be whether Porsche can ultimately succeed in rolling out a fully electrified 911 that is still a 911. Well, this is a tricky thing because you see what makes the 911 a 911 is precisely its engine, that little lump of a motor hanging out at the back of the car over the rear wheels. See, if the 911 goes fully electric, that little motor in the back, 
well, it's not going to be there anymore. So you effectively take away the defining element that makes a 9-11 a 9-11, and what have you got? Well, you've got a thing which looks like a 9-11, but isn't. So that's going to be a bit weird. Now, obviously, I think what Plusher are going to do rather smartly, they're going to, first of all, kind of transition through the phases, as it were. They're going to have, first of all, a plug-in hybrid variant of the 9-11 before moving to a fully electrified one. Obviously, we saw what happened when Porsche made another huge change. They transitioned from the 993-911 to the 996 by getting rid of the air-cooled motor and moving to a liquid-cooled motor. Porsche loyalists were up in arms about that. So again, there's going to be a lot of pushback here, too. I think as long as Porsche succeeds on two fronts, number one, making it feel and handle like a Porsche, they already have experience with electrified steering, having been perfected now in the 991 model, what's going to remain next is to make sure that when you get rid of that engine at the back, and when you put all the center of mass in the floor of the car, that you make sure you're able still to make the car feel dynamically like a 911, meaning it's going to have to maintain that sort of rear weight bias and it's going to have to otherwise feel and drive and be dynamically similar to what we expect a 911 to feel like. So I think if Porsche are able to pull that off, and I believe that they will somehow, I think the only thing that's going to remain is the marketability of, again, how is it a 911 if it doesn't have an engine at the back? But all this said and done, I think that ultimately Porsche are on the right path, obviously, and by 2030, this will be a very exciting thing to see indeed. Now, with respect to their... Autonomous vehicle plans, no word as yet, but I think we can make a few safe assumptions. Porsche, of course, no stranger to the world of safety generally. Obviously, their cars very, very safe things on the road, not just electronically, but even mechanically. The 911, for example, said to be one of the safest vehicles out there. So <clears throat> I think it's a safe bet to say that Porsche will indeed start to roll out full autonomous capability uh, in the coming decade, although obviously they're going to do it in two ways. First, um, it'll be, I think, probably less of a central selling point. I think it'll be kind of more of a footnote. And secondly, I think that when they do this, it's it's going to definitely have sort of a performance spin to it. And now that I'm saying this, this is actually triggering, triggering a memory, something I think I read quite some time ago, that indeed Porsche are going to roll out a fully autonomous mode, which will have sort of a performance driving characteristic to it. Not entirely sure what that's for. You're certainly not going to want it on a racetrack. And if you use it on public roads, well, it's a good way to get ticketed, isn't it? So I don't know, really. You haven't read much about that. But um, I think that's probably how Porsche are going to do it. So we'll have more on that when we get it. That's Porsche. So the first reviews of Jaguar's new 2019 I-Pace fully electric SUV rolling out from Autoblog. It's really just a first drive. Uh, unfortunately, they were limited just to going sort of in circles in a parking lot. But first impressions are, first of all, the interior, really beautiful stuff. Um, the qualities, fit, finish, and materials far uh, in excess of anything on offer by Jaguar. And most importantly, far nicer, apparently, to anything found in Tesla, either its Model S, X, or even the new Model 3. So that's quite a thing to say. Um, nothing to say, speaking about uh, performance or driving dynamics, because again, they were limited to a parking lot. But uh, generally speaking, apparently it's a really nice place to be. Plenty of room, quite voluminous. Legroom equal to a Model 3 and Model S in the back. So um, generally said to be a very nice place to hang out in. 
hopefully we'll have more on this in the coming days and weeks. Um, one thing to mention as a reminder, this is the car with which Jaguar have, uh, have partnered up with Waymo. Waymo, of course, the autonomous car company spun off out of Google. Um, this then will be the sixth car in their autonomous car fleet, and it's going to be the first fully electrified luxury SUV with autonomous driving capabilities in the world. Uh, Waymo, of course, ordered 20,000 of these, so this is a very important car, not just for what it means for for ordinary consumers, but what it means for the uh, development, ongoing development and rollout deployment of fully autonomous cars generally. So we'll have more on this in the coming days and weeks, hopefully. But now let's talk about the Tesla Model S. I've got a full test drive to share with you my thoughts and opinions on its latest autopilot. Here we go. All right, so for my first extended drive with a Tesla Model S, I began up in Marin County, just north of San Francisco, and headed all the way down to sort of the upper bound of Silicon Valley, uh, to Foster City, where I took advantage of a supercharger station. So generally speaking, um, I think Autopilot is frankly fantastic. I've had the chance to experience it once before at an earlier iteration of Autopilot. This was a couple of years ago, and indeed it was what I launched this podcast with. Yeah, episode one, you can hear me reading verbatim from an article I wrote. I discovered very quickly that's not the way to do a podcast, but in any event, it's worth listening to if you haven't, I think. Um, But yeah, so this time, what are my thoughts and opinions? Well, look, in a nutshell, I think Autopilot is a fantastic thing. Obviously, it's the best thing on the market so far. I've also had the chance to experience, uh, let's see, a Mercedes GLC. It's got sort of a really advanced radar cruise control with lane keep assist, which does a pretty great job as long as the, as long as the road is mostly straight. It'll handle gentle curves with no problem. And in any event, in stop-and-go traffic, it's great. But the autopilot of Tesla is in a league of its own. I mean, so you're driving along any sort of a road, any speed, you just kind of double-tap on the autopilot lever towards you. I should say double-pull on it. And uh, there you go, autopilot's engaged. It offers a real nice audible chime to indicate when it's active and another one to indicate when it's been deactivated. When you're driving along for some time, it will eventually, uh, I was going to say ask you to put your hands on the wheels, but it really demands that you put your hands on the wheel. If you don't, it'll disengage autopilot. You will then crash and die. No, not really. Well, yeah, I guess you will eventually, but really what will happen is Tesla will say, nope, you've been bad. You can't use autopilot anymore for the duration of this drive. Now, I have to admit, I was curious to see how you can override this quickly. In fact, all it requires is coming to a stop, putting the car in park, and then back and drive again, and you're good to go. Nevertheless, I think that's a good thing Tesla have done. They really want to make it so that you stay focused and attentive. So, look, i got to hand it to them. I think that's certainly an appropriate thing to do. I do wish the warning before disengaging autopilot were a bit more prominent. Now, for those of you who have driven and experienced the Tesla with this new autopilot system, you'd probably say, Mark, what are you talking about? The whole display flashes with a brilliant bright white outline around it it's pretty clear it wants you to put your hands back on back on the wheel um i agree that visually it's really compelling i do think though it needs a much more prominent audio uh, chime to signal to you to put your hands back on uh because time and again i found the system just disengaging completely 
<clears throat> because in the brightness of daylight, I just didn't notice the display. Okay, I didn't notice it. That's all I can say about that. But let's return now more to the actual driving dynamics itself. How did Autopilot do on the road? Let me first just say the one thing that I didn't like, because frankly, everything else I liked just fine. So the one thing I didn't like, and I, when I say didn't like, what I mean is I was rather disappointed by, it still doesn't do a good job of what I think is really the most common experience to encounter on a freeway, to say nothing at all about ordinary surface streets. Um, it doesn't react quick enough to a car who's just cut in front of you. So like virtually every other uh, adaptive radar cruise control car that I've driven, the Tesla kind of waits for the car cutting across your lane to be fully in your lane before it starts to react. I think, you know, and this then causes you to kind of want to take over and maybe uh, hit the brakes so you don't get so close to it. It's not the case that I'm worried the Tesla will actually hit the car in front of me, but it's just that it gets too close, uncomfortably so. If not for me, then certainly for my passengers. I think what needs to happen, and this should be possible because it's not like the Tesla doesn't see it unless and until it's fully in the lane in front of you. No, it sees it even when it's in the adjacent lanes. I think the Tesla should be, the software just needs to be tweaked so that it starts to slow down uh, in two conditions. One, if the car is at least 50% in your lane, and if two, the car is going less than or equal to your speed. If it's going greater than your speed, of course, that's a non-issue. So, so that's kind of the one big gripe that I have with the system as it is now. It just doesn't react quick enough to cars moving into your lane. Everything else does really well. Um, it does a really great job otherwise with keeping its distance to cars ahead of you. It does a phenomenal, eerie good job with staying in the lanes at any speed on almost any sorts of turns, including and especially where lanes just seem to vanish. I don't know how it did it, actually. I'm imagining it's pulling from curated sort of crowdsourced data from other Teslas to learn how the road works because there was no way it was able to determine this just with its camera vision. Uh, so... What can I say? Uh, all around, really, really impressed. I do think if they would fix that lane change uh, issue, it would work all the more better. Um, speaking of lane change, yeah, if you signal the with the signaler, uh, it will actually start to change lanes for you if indeed it's safe to do so. So that worked really great too. I think it's also important to talk briefly about the supercharging experience. The supercharger here was the one in Foster City at sort of this little uh, plaza with stores and and uh, restaurants, cafes. This was an amazing experience. You, you pull in there and you, you're looking for superchargers and then what you see is a full-on valet service. Yeah, you, you get out the car after parking at a supercharging uh, charge point station. They then, you know, you give them your, your car keys. It's totally free, of course. You go grab a bite to eat, come back 30, 45 minutes later, your car is essentially fully topped off. In this case, it went from roughly 10% charge to, I think, 80% charge in something around 45 minutes. So that was just an incredible, incredible life-changing experience. In some ways, I got to say, more life-changing even than, uh, okay, I won't say more life-changing than autopilot, but really right up there. I mean, you drive in, you get valet parking service, which also happens to charge up your car while you get a bite to eat. All of this for free. That's an incredible thing. So... So that's my kind of first take on a full, proper, long test drive with Tesla Model S uh, with Autopilot. I'm not going to go into my details, discussions, ranting and raving about ludicrous mode, which was absolutely astonishing. 
truly ludicrous because you can read and see all you like about this on the YouTubes. But um, if you have any other questions about Autopilot, do shoot them my way. I'm more than happy to answer and go into further details. Net-net, I think Autopilot is a fantastic thing indeed. It's a huge, huge safety net, if nothing else. And in any event, it really lays the groundwork, the paves the way for what's said to be, what's sure to be, a really promising future for autonomous cars. I think in the next two to three years, we're going to see some truly incredible uh, developments and deployments not only by Tesla, but by many others besides. So there you have it. That's a wrap for today. Uh, thank you so much for listening. As a reminder, please be sure to like and subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. The best place to do this, of course, is over on Apple's iTunes podcast. Please remember to leave a five-star review if you like it and optimally to even write a review. Um, alternatively, make sure to listen directly on anchor.fm. That's the platform where I listen to these podcasts. You can leave me a voicemail so we can make this a proper two-way conversation. Of course, if you want to reach out to me directly, you can do so on Twitter. My handle is Mark Hogue. That's M-A-R-C-H-O-A-G. So again, uh, thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful rest of the day. We'll see you later this week. Bye-bye.